Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. A lot of companies are starting to see the importance of wellness and how it can help retain workers. Now, in today's episode, I'll be talking about how Penfield Pet Hospital uses employee wellness to keep their workers engaged and healthy. Our guest today, Mel Marshall, is the head of people and organization at Banfield Pet Hospital, the largest general veterinarian practice in the United States with more than 1,000 hospitals nationwide. Now, together, we're going to discuss how Banfield uses wellness, culture, and passion to retain workers and ultimately provide a better world for pets. So before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis. Let's get started. In today's rapidly changing world, it's more difficult than ever for organizations to keep up. That's why I'm excited to invite you to the Navigating Uncertainty Summit on October 14th at Clemson University. You'll learn from the most innovative thinkers in a day of inspiration and make cross-industry connections that will help you adapt to the modern world. Register now at 2022summit.ageofpersonalization.com. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Mel. Welcome to the show. You know I'm excited to speak with you because you and I always have something to say and you always keep me thinking. So thanks for being here today, Mel. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. And you're right. I think there's so much that can come out of just like-minded individuals just kind of talking things through. So I'm looking forward to the time together. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, we've talked about this one, Mel, that, you know, according to the 2022 Career Optimism Index, uh, from the University of Phoenix, let me say this slowly for our for our listeners: that nearly one in three Americans would quit their current job without having another one lined up. However, sixty nine percent said that they would consider staying at their jobs if things change. Now, what, what what do you think needs to change? What I think that's an indication of is the shift that's happening, right and it's the understanding of who's in the driver's seat <laughs> uh, as it relates to the experience that associates, we say associates, they probably hear me say that a lot versus employee, um, but to the experience that associates have. And I, I think it's a pivotal shift that's taking place where the control, if you will, of whose voice really matters most 
to the associate experience is, is coming really clear. And so I think associates are being unapologetic, rightfully so, about the experiences they want to have, uh, what they expect of their, their employer, their, their teams, the experience in their organization, their line manager, um, all of that. And so that's what comes to mind for me when you, you kind of reference some of those stats. They're, they're pretty staggering, yet almost not surprising um, when you think about what you're seeing in today's climate and today's environment. So Mel, the good news is they'll give the employer chance, right? Mm. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if things change, they'll give them a chance. And I think one of the things that's so important for employees today, today as we're seeing this balance of power shift that you mentioned from the institution to the individual is that they want more opportunities for upskilling and reskilling. Unfortunately, not a lot of employers are being as proactive as they should be. So how are you addressing this need? Yeah, so for, for us at Banfield, um, it's almost a non-negotiable. Uh, when you have 20,000 associates across over 1,050 hospitals, being able to listen at scale and truly respond to the needs of your associates and sometimes proactively get ahead of those needs through, sometimes it's the unsaid things. It could be said very you know, directly and very bluntly of, we need this, we're missing this, this would make our lives better. But we've really um, embedded this, this thinking of listening at scale in our, in our culture. Um, and it's a way of being for us versus something we do, if that makes sense. Um, I think that we are, we've shifted because we didn't always get this right. Um, and times have changed. It's less about what the organization thinks um, to drive the decision. And it's really around what do our associates need? And we've made that shift. And I think that's been the foundational piece that's helped us um, begin to address this um, for our environment. And a couple of examples that I can think of, you know, uh, not simple, but direct one for me is our doctor retention. Um, we know that there's a direct correlation between the skill set of our paraprofessionals, uh, which is going to be the clinical staff that supports the doctor in the hospitals, for example. And so our ability to make sure that our paraprofessional teams have the right skill set, whatever that could look like, um, in relation to being able to provide the best support care for our doctors, has a full kind of cyclical mm. uh, act to doctor retention. And so we would be foolish, quite honestly, as an organization to not look into and lead with how do we continue to build capability for our people. And I think the difference is, um, we're not building capability to say, okay, now go do this. We're building capability so that they're empowered to do what they need to do. Um, you know, with a thousand plus hospitals, every hospital is not going to run the exact same way. Where we have some centralization in our organization for efficiency. Mm -hmm. Every hospital is empowered to pilot, to try new ways of um, addressing modes of care, to um, bring, you know, pilots and test and learn kind of concepts to, to life. And so the more we can give them the foundational base skills to, to do those types of things, um, it's great for the associate. It's great for uh, quality medicine. It's great for the organization. It's great for the pets. Uh, so there's, a, there's a, a sense of mutuality that comes with that. So for me, again, just one simple yet um, powerful example of putting our associates in the driver's seat um, and really responding to their needs. Um, that's, that's really the the way we've done that. I would say that uh, we've probably focused more on upskilling than reskilling in our space um, mm. to be transparent. Um, for us, it's around how do we help evolve? 
how do we help our associates um, with our business evolution? But it's, again, as I mentioned, through the ways that they can contribute. So we're changing modes of care. We're changing the way that uh, care is provided outside of, you know, the traditional brick and mortar, and I'm air quoting, can't see me, but mm. <laughs> the traditional brick and mortar uh, environments and maybe traditional um, ways that that has happened. And so as you bring technology into this space and create efficiencies, our teams have so the base kind of foundational skill set to then run with that. And, mm. you know, Hospital 237 in Texas is trying something cool and in New York, they're doing something different. But again, it's, it's creating the environment where associates can do this with some sort of um, grounding or foundational skill set. It's almost like having the right in your tool belt. Well, Mel, you're, 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 you've done a great job of explaining what leadership in the age of personalization is all about. And I think this is part of where what organizations are struggling with is that they're having a tough time trying to understand how to best upskill and reskill because they haven't let go. They haven't recognized that it's no longer about the business defining the individual. It's about the individual defining the business. But to do that takes a concerted effort. And that effort is to get to know each associate on an individual level, because we can talk about upskilling and reskilling and all these things at a macro level. But at the end of the day, it's what you said. It would, it's what truly matters to that individual, because today an employer is just not responsible for doing those things just for their organization. It's about people that come into the, an organization that's looking for that, for that company to help that associate not only be relevant at Banfield, but relevant in whatever path they choose to take in their career. So I think this is an important distinction because in the end, uh, you're almost trying to look out for them, for the organization, but for their future. Mm -hmm. How do you react to that? And what would you actually, how would you advise your peers to get out in front of this trend? I mean, I I think you nailed it, Glenn. Um, It goes back to, and it may sound simple and kind of uh, 101, but it's, This is all ultimately about culture, Um, whether it's the culture of continuous improvement, learning culture, you name it. But there's a cultural tenant that sits in the center Mm -hmm. of this. For me, if if I was in the shoes of another HR leader in a different organization who maybe haven't had the experiences that, that I've just referenced, you're you're not doing this or approaching this as something that we need to do. Right. So, oh, you know, like and almost like a standardized or robotic yeah. way, you should probably go and upskill people. It's not about that. It's around how is our culture transforming? How is, how is it strengthening? How are we creating sustainable change for the future that will have some mm-hmm. level of ROI, not financial necessarily, but that will help change the individual society, how we impact pets. And yes, there'll be some tactics behind that. But for me, I think leaders who are, um, considering how best to do this, start with the end in mind, I guess, which is culture. Um, and it will lead the way to what are the things then that we need to do to better align. Um, you know, if you think about culture in the different tiers, you know, you have values and behaviors, right? So some of the things in that nature, you have the, the programmatic and systemized things, uh, even how your organization is viewed from the outside, you know, yeah. do people look at your organization as somewhere where this uh, empowering mindset resides? 
um, that they can come and join and, and have the freedom, uh, the capability, the, the skill set, the learning kind of be poured into or nurtured to grow their mm-hmm. career. And if that's not the case, you could create all the strategies in the world and all the programs, but if the culture's not right, I think that that's where it can fall short. And so you get ahead of it mm. by focusing on culture. You know, Mel, it's uh, interesting. You used one word there, and I like to kind of rewind because I think yeah. that this is at the impetus of everything that we're trying to solve for. Mm-hmm. And that is sustainability. Oh. You know, organizations now are dealing with topics like environmental, social, and governance, otherwise known as ESG. Yeah. Um, this is all part of a broader vision of how do we make our organizations more stable. So let's not forget that that letter in the middle, social. If our yeah. workplaces aren't right, if our people aren't tended to in a way that matters to them, there is no sustainability in our business. So it's as if today's culture has a bigger, broader societal responsibility. And that means, when I say this respectfully, Mel, that maybe it's not always the vision and mission of the organization that's driving people. Maybe Uh it's their own. And Uh in other words, do we truly know what the vision and mission is of every associate? Have we ever taken the time to realize that, wow, there are people in an organization, whether it's Banfield or otherwise, that are in roles that maybe they shouldn't even be in based on their own individual vision, mission, and purpose. So I share that because I think today's cultures are being re-examined by the individuals themselves as they begin to question whether or not they're even in the right roles in organizations as these times are changing. I don't know. Any comments on that? I mean, I bring this to bear because of this notion of retaining talent. And I think this topic goes hand in hand with it. Yeah, I, what I would say is um, I don't disagree with, with what you've said and the way that I've shaped it up with our organization and just funny enough, not haha funny, but coincidentally, um, I was just having a conversation. We had a national field leadership conference last week and we were having the discussion of culture. Mm. and. Um, the reality is you, you said it and in its simplest form, when I look at our 20,000 associates, they are the culture. They, they are our culture. It's not what our central team support says. It's not what the headquarters says. Mm. Culture is coming from each and every one of our associates. And so I think the ability to help associates see that we have created the, the landscape or the, the, the platform mm. for them to yeah. truly step out in their own to lead culture forward in whatever that may look like for them in their hospital with their team from a societal standpoint, whatever that may be, um, that's where, that's where it comes from. And so for us, I can say at Banfield, we, we don't talk about culture from the standpoint of the, the president of the organization or um, yes, we have mission and the five principles. We have, you know, our better world for pets and all of those things that drive vision. Absolutely. But the culture that comes to life in service of that, yes, it's 20,000 associates that we have. That, that's our culture. And we make it very clear to them. And actually, the, um, 
the the rallying cry, if you will, from our conference was, yes, the future is bright, but you are the future, right? You you are the the the, the culture champions that will evolve our business to whatever that may look like. And so we, we really um, make a intentional effort to make sure our associates truly understand the role that they play in our organization, uh, that their voice matters, uh, that we need them to be at the driver's seat uh, and that they're empowered to, to help, you know, lead care forward and whatever that looks like for them. So we're just here to get the oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, we're just here to get the roadblocks out of their way so that they can be their best. You know, that's a good way to transition the roadblocks. Uh, just on what, based upon what you see in your own kind of outlook, what do you think are the roadblocks that are making it difficult for people to stay in their work? And what is Banfield doing to remo- remove those roadblocks to retain its top talent? I think that um, as I've seen, heard, and experienced, I guess, different phenomenons around um, whether it's the uptick in departures, uh, choices that you know people are making in this day and age um, about what their next best move will be, and um, where the challenge comes is if you don't know your people, if you don't... Um, truly understand who's in your organization, how do you create an environment where they're empowered to thrive, right? Mm. So, so mm. in essence, you, you inadvertently um, almost suppress this opportunity to help them evolve their thinking, which their thinking then subsequently evolves processes and or fill in the blank, right? So yeah. there, there's a bit of a, um, uh, not a cycle, but a momentum that gets created based on the environment that's created. So again, going back to culture, um, and for me in particular with my um, P&O or people in organization, we say P&O, my P&O team, uh, we talk a lot about the overlay between the needs of society, the needs of the associate, the needs of the organization. And there's a sweet spot in the middle where all of those things converge. And how do we kind of um, focus our efforts to really meet that critical component where the associates at the center and we're helping to drive that kind of overlay of, because those all, all three things will shift. So things, focus areas, priorities, uh, what's most important for the society, for the associate, for the organization will shift, but they will always have some level of overlap. And so we really pride ourselves in trying to get to kind of that, again, that kind of sweet spot where, where all of that converges in a meaningful way. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think that comes back to the right culture environment uh, that you can get that deep. Um, uh, and understand, and I, I think the way that I've just described those three elements, that's not being driven from the top. That's our associates mm-hmm. at the center, rightfully so. And we're kind of going outside or inside out versus, you know, Hey, this is what we believe you should do. Hey, this is what we think, um, your focus area should be. Here's what your priorities are. We really create the space for our associates their voice to be at the center. So kind of going back to where I was going, in what can prevent that or in the absence of certain things like being seen, being valued, being heard, being supported, what I just described is almost impossible. And so whether it's 
you know, celebration, recognition, acknowledgement, um, whether it's how you're, you know, focused on driving an inclusive culture that then allows your people to bring their true holistic full self to work. You know, it's, it, if those are not the things you're doing, that's like ticket to entry. <laughs> Excuse me. That's the kind of base level entry components. And so I think those yeah. are some of the pieces that maybe where organizations are struggling or when those things are not um, aligned from an associate perspective, that's where they're making the choice to self-select and go elsewhere um, because they feel the, the, the imbalance between mm. um, sure what they're experiencing. Um, and of course that then leads to, you know, I'm bringing my full self to work. I can truly be me. Um, there's data. And I, I know I've read many of your, your, your publications where there is data that, that, quantifies the the impact to productivity and engagement and all these things and people can just be themselves and and lead from who they are um so it's for me, again i probably went around in circles on this one but no, at the end of the day, i think i think it's the the retention challenges that are being seen is because we're missing some of the base fundamentals which is the human connection the humanizing of yes you have an organization yes you have financial goals and all of that but at the end of the day your people are, are at the heart of it and for us we we often say and always say uh the people strategy is the business strategy yeah. so in our organization um we are in a people business serving pet and so even the mindset that you have around what is at the heart of your business will help you determine what's important and what yeah. are then the strategies and things you put in place to solve for that and for me it's our people I'm not a clinician, can't do much in a hospital and in, a, in an operating room in our hospitals. But what I can do um, is add value to best support our people and create a better world for them so that they can then in turn create a better world. For Mel, thank you for humanizing the conversation. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, we need to do more of is, and you did it, is, you know, kind of walk us through the reality, not just make it sound like everyone's got it figured it out, figured mm -hmm. out. Um, so on that note, I, I thought I'd take a different approach since you, since you took us there, right? Because if, since this is the personalization outbreak podcast, you've just taken us through your, your human, your human way of driving the narrative. Tell us a little bit about why, the people strategy is the business strategy. In other words, help us understand, help our audience understand, our listeners understand um, why that is the case. And maybe you can step back and just let people know about what does Banfield do? And, you know, some of the challenges that are faced um, with veterinarians and the stressors that are put on them. Um, yeah. let, let's, let's go there. What do you think of that Mel? Yeah. So I guess the, the grounding that I would provide to why I said what I said in relation to the people strategy being the business strategy is when you think about, and I'll air quote again, in traditional format, in the absence of having our people, all we really have is real estate. We'll have a, we have a thousand hospitals plus across the U S and without great people to provide excellent and you know, top-notch quality care, 
when you remove that equation, when when the people component is not nurtured, is not uh, focused on quality, is at risk um, for the care of the pets and the patients that we see and, and serve. Um, people are the link to our communities in which the care is being provided. Uh, there, there's just so many linkages to people are literally at the center of everything that we do. And um, especially in a services business. Um, so yes, well, we're kind of a blend of healthcare uh, with our multi-unit footprint meet meet services, so a bit of an uh, interesting business model that we have. And so again, the ability to have a consistent experience across the US in our hospitals comes from the capability of our people. Um, the leadership that we have in place to be able to, to lead, to thrive, um, to engage and create environments where, again, associates can come in and thrive. And you think about the veterinary profession. Um, this is not a job for, I'm going to say, 99.8% of the folks who work here. Um, it's a passion. It's a calling. Many of our um, clinicians knew they wanted to be a vet before they could maybe even say the word vet. <laughs> They, they, they knew they loved animals. They knew they wanted to um, care for animals in some way. And, you know, th this has been a, a lifelong passion for them. And so the, the passion, I think, that comes from what this organization is, um, what it's grounded on, uh, kind of the heartbeat of it, it's around purpose and passion and directly connected to the people who provide the care for our pets. And to your question of, it is a very rewarding profession. And at the same time, it can be very challenging. Um, I'm not sure if you and your listeners are aware, um, the veterinary profession um, has some of the highest suicide um, rates in mm -hmm. across healthcare and other, other um, industries as well. Uh, one in six um, clinicians um, consider some sort of self-harm or, or suicide-like um, related, I should say, um, um, challenges at, at some point. And so we have a, not even a mission, but a responsibility um, to take care of our people. Um, so everything that we do, I mean, literally, I mentioned the five principles before. Um, and as we look about the decisions that we're making in our organization as it relates to our people, the business as well overall, but as I said, the people strategy is the business strategy. We look at it from the standpoint of, you know, responsibility, mutuality, quality, freedom. Like, how do we make sure that we are making principled decisions behind the things that matter most? And for us, that's our people. Um, technology will change. Things will come and go. There'll be new um, healthcare systems and new um, practice management systems that'll help mm -hmm. us, you know, run our days and run our hospitals. We'll have the, the capital equipment and, you know, digital x-rays and all those things. Those will all come and go, but the people, yeah. The people at the end of the day is the heart of our business. And so uh, it is not a, um, a choice. It's, it's a responsibility that we have to ensure that we really surround ourselves and care for uh, the people in this profession. And you were talking a little bit earlier around sustainability of the profession or sustainability, sorry, overall. And what came to mind for me was sustainability in this profession also includes the health and well-being component, so the ability for associates to thrive, that's what will make sure that this profession is here for the long run, um, because we have thriving associates and, and thriving clinicians and hospital teams who are here to care for the pets that need them. 
Uh, the other challenge from a sustainability standpoint is having enough caregivers. So we did a study that we commissioned um, uh, several months back um, and roughly 75 million pets are at risk of not having care because there won't be enough clinicians to support them, enough doctors kind of um, to support them. And you think about whether it's from the, the pandemic puppy boom, as they call it, um, but the number of pets that, and the role that pets play in people's lives, you think about One Health um, and how it all comes together. If we don't take care of our people, society is at risk because we know that good care for pets therefore equals good health for people. Um, people are at risk uh, as a result of that. Uh, this profession is at risk. And so we really, we can to kind of go upstream, so to speak, to address some of the factors that can impact our people, uh, whether it's um, strengthening the talent pipeline of the veterinary profession, so not just for Banfield, but thinking bigger beyond our four yeah. walls. Um, also overlaying that with the diversification of this profession as well, yeah. um, which is another challenge that we face. And so Again, I share all these things because regardless of what avenue or path uh, you kind of pivot to, yeah. it all comes back to people. Um, and so we, we, it is our calling, if you will, and, and our mission to make sure that we take care of every one of our associates. Um, we understand who they are, to your point, um, and kind of the, the uh, headline for, for your, your series here personalization, like understanding who your associates are, what they need, that's what's going to help them thrive. That's going to help them stay with your organization. Um, there will always be another company who will pay more. <laughs> you will maybe not always be the number one benefit offering, but if people can see themselves in your organization and see where they fit in your organization, and it's not mm -hmm. because they've changed, it's because who they are fits within the direction of where your business is going. They can see how they can contribute to that. Uh, fits probably even not even the right word. It's more how can they contribute and how do they um, yes. kind of merge within that. Yes. That's what matters. Someone will always pay more. Someone will have better things. There will always be splashier uh, things that uh, other companies will provide. But it's the, the focus on people, culture, and this personalization element. That's the differentiator. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that helps people stay. That's why uh, we have a saying, if you will, it's that start, stay, grow. And so our people strategy is anchored in helping associates start with us, stay with us, and grow with us. I love it. So all of the initiatives, the programs, um, the you name it, uh, investments, uh, whatever we do, it's anchored in. Is it in service of start, stay, or grow? And if love it's not that. that, not a priority. So, so Mel, as we close, can you just take a moment? And I know it's a big topic, but you know, you, you've addressed the importance of people and their well-being, but what I think would be a good way to close is to share how Banfield has actually created a comprehensive wellness strategy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to. Thanks for the opportunity. So, oh gosh, we probably started this journey maybe back 2016, 17. Um, and we started with defining what health and well-being means for our organization. And so there are five dimensions to our health and well-being strategy. Um, it, there is a direct correlation between our health and well-being strategy as well as our equity, inclusion, and diversity strategy. 
mm-hmm. because the two go hand in hand. And so our well-being strategy is anchored in um, healthy mind, healthy body, healthy community, healthy finances, and healthy careers. And so Mm. the programs, um, the resources, whatever we provide for our associates anchors to one of or multiple of these five things. Um, There is a variety of strategic I would say differentiators that we have led um, in service of our health and well-being journey. That again, do you remember what I was talking about earlier, link back to the sustainability of our profession, but also the thriving nature of our people. And so whether it's what we did to support student debt um, and uh, helping to clear that burden, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, so that's healthy finances, uh, whether it's the focus that we have on uh, the career development and upskilling in this case, of our associates, which is gonna be healthy careers. EIND ties very nicely into all, but uh, healthy community is a big one because we know that the ability to provide culturally competent care um, and truly meet your community where they are and, and really take into consideration that creates a better health and well-being environment for all. Um, whether it's healthy mind, where we created um, two programs, the first one uh, asked is the kind of foundational name for it and it stands for assess support and know and as i referenced earlier with some of the challenges in this profession as it relates to mental health um, suicide ideation and all of that ask was created to help with something risk to help our associates understand mm. kind of something do something and sometimes the ability to see what that something is is challenging and so we shut down all of our hospitals across the country um, to create space, have the right conversation, upskill, if you will, and provide um, really critical um, tools and, and resources to support associates better assess uh, when there are challenges for themselves, but also at home, in their community, in the workplace, et cetera. Part two of that program um, is focused on skill building. So now that you know how to assess um, and how to see or look for or identify, probably a better word, uh, risk and, and someone who's in critical need of support, what do you do? And um, this program is a first of its kind in the veterinary profession. Um, we didn't just create it for us, so we actually provided this uh, for free to the profession. And so anyone in the veterinary profession has access to the curriculum, uh, the e-learnings, as well as the supplementary um, uh, program documents to support conversations. And so it's a, it's a critically important element of our culture. It sits at the foundation, I would say, health and well-being, um, equity, inclusion, and diversity, and talent development are actually the, the boulder rocks, if you will, or some of the big rocks that sit to anchor our foundation from a culture standpoint. And so I am incredibly proud of the work we're doing. We know that there's still things to be done. Um, but again, this people-first mindset that's how it comes to life for us at Mansfield. Well, Mel, look, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I mean, I, I for those of you that are watching on YouTube or listening through uh, wherever you get your podcast, the message is clear that this is all about community building. It's about driving sustainability through the community of your the people that you serve, whether it's your associates in the workplace or it's your customers in the marketplace. What we're all really trying to do is how we can come to terms with that we're all interconnected and interdependent upon each other. 
And if we don't grow and evolve together as a community, we will find exactly what standardization wants you to, to exist in, in a, a, in a cluster of silos that take us further apart. And so Mel, thank you for helping us understand that fundamentally what the organization is doing and in, in through your leadership, it's understanding all the different component parts, how they're interconnected, and then drive community to not only upskill and reskill, but also to retain and put people in a position to thrive in the things that are most meaningful and purposeful to them with an environment that also supports inclusive working and diverse thinking so that we can recognize this dependency that we have on each other to really take us and take the organization and even its competitors uh, to grow and evolve together. Because in the end, uh, you're in the business of making the world a lot better uh, for pets. And the truth is pets are making us better. And so there is a holistic, almost circular vision, so to speak, around the mission at Banfield. And we're so grateful that you've shared it. Uh, we appreciate your vulnerability uh, and just your relatability and honesty to these topics that are heavy. Uh, a lot of them are unknowns for people. But I think the message that you've shared uh, was very inspiring and can put people on the right track. So thank you again for your time, Mel. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Mel. And as we end every show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Mel. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.